Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Welcome to week number three in our counterculture series. Week one, we talked about why our beliefs matter and how what we believe is shaped by our worldview. Last week in week number two, we remembered that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We talked about how that all of life, including the life of the unborn, is precious in God's sight. I want to welcome you to week number three today. Amen. Many of you are probably familiar with the story from 1937, the Disney film Snow White. Now, in that story, one of the main characters was the Wicked Queen, and she was obsessed with herself. And if you'll remember, she used to ask a famous question, and she would say, magic mirror on the wall, who's the fairest? Come on, let me hear it. Of them all. Now, we've changed that up since the movie, and we say what? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Well, one time when the, when the queen looked at the, uh, at the mirror, she asked the mirror, she said, who's the fairest of them all? And the queen, the, the mirror replied back, Snow White, oh queen, is the fairest of them all. And if you've ever seen the cartoon, you remember the movie, the queen went into an outrage. And the reason was she was so toxically focused on herself that it took precedent over everyone else in her life. And it became her consuming desire to be more fair than Snow White. And today... That's what I want to talk about. I want to tackle what is probably one of the most common worldviews that we see today. It might seem harmless enough on the surface, but hear me. It has created problems and more dysfunctions than you can possibly imagine. And it's the mindset of meism or the preoccupation with self. Everybody say self. Now, the reason this is important to have a discussion about this today is because this unhealthy focus on self, number one, it's not in harmony with the way God wants us to live. But number two, it affects everybody around us more than we can possibly imagine. So here's my sermon today. You might have guessed it already. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Let's go to the Bible, Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, if you remember from week one, I mentioned meism. Meism is a lifestyle or a mindset of me first. It simply means a focus or obsession with oneself. Now, folks, we honestly, we certainly live in a me-first world, right? A serve-yourself, selfie-obsessed world that says it's all about me. And the fascination with ourselves is literally everywhere. And by the way, it's not limited to any one age group. You know, see, older people, we all like to think it's just young people, you know, baby boomers, Generation X, millennials. We all think that it's just, but no, it's not restricted to any one group. Meism is in every generation, 
But hear me, let me qualify that statement. Make no mistake, the mindset is strongest in younger generations. Now hear me, it's not because they're bad. It's not because they're any uh, way less uh, than previous generations. You know, the older generations always want to show, throw shade on the younger generations, right? No, that's not it at all. But the truth is teenagers and young adults are in a season of life where they're trying to establish their identities, right? They're trying to really understand who am I in relation to other people. And by the way, they have more tools at their fingertips than any generation had before, smartphones, social media, tools that although we all embrace and love many of these things, they exploit our young people in a season of life when they are particularly vulnerable. For example, let's talk about Gen Z for just a moment. Those are those between the ages of 11 and 26. They've been dubbed the iGen or the selfie generation. Now, what are some of the unique characteristics about Gen Z? I'm going to read a few of these, but I also want to see how many of us have grabbed these characteristics for our own generation. Amen. First of all, Gen Z, they are digital natives. They're digital natives. Gen Zers spend nearly every waking hour of the day interacting with some form of digital technology. It shapes their sleeping habits, how they process information, how they build and maintain relationships, how they spend their spend time. And the reason is Gen Z is the first generation who have been raised swiping screens on tablets and smartphones before they could even talk. Amen. My three-year-old granddaughter, Ava, can pick up her pad, her smart pad, and navigate that thing better than I can. Because she's been raised with this technology at her fingertips. And the use of digital technology, and in particular social media, is perhaps the defining characteristic of this generation. And one thing that really contributes to the media. Here's the second thing about Gen Z. Are you ready? They're fluid. Categories that were fixed and distinct in previous generations. It's now considered blurry or ambiguous or fluid in Gen Z. For example, fixed positions like uh, things concerning religion or politics or sexuality. It's all become fluid in this generation. And folks, it's important that we recognize that. And technology has contributed greatly to the blurring of these lines. The, 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 the lines between work and home, truth and fiction, fact or feeling, and our public and private lives. And by the way, now, it used to be that you could only, uh, you, you could trust what you, you can't even trust what you see now. AI and some of the stuff that's been in the news lately, you can't, you can't trust pictures. You can't even trust video now. Because they can digitally alter things, and so you don't know what's true. And perhaps there is no greater fluidity than at any other time in history with the issues of sex, gender, and family. Few in this generation believe that there really is such a thing as a normal family. And folks, hear me. This view has come from the shifting sands of not having a foundational biblical worldview. Did you know that only half of teenagers today believe that your gender is defined by your sex at birth? I'm going to talk about this some next week. So if you want to know about this whole gender stuff, come back next Sunday. We're going to talk about it. Amen. Gen Z, though, is also considered post-Christian. Everybody say post-Christian. More young Americans describe themselves as being religiously unaffiliated than any other time before. They don't read their Bibles as much. They don't pray as much. Church attendance is not 
as important. Uh, ironically, though, with all this stuff at their fingertips, guess what else marks this generation? They're lonely. They're lonely. Based on their online presence, you would think that all these kids are just living a great life. But folks, for many of them, it is a facade of what they're really experiencing, deep loneliness. And really, when you think about it, it is the sad paradox of the day. So many ways we can be connected, yet these tools are only creating more loneliness. Counseling experts say that Gen Z is on the verge of the greatest mental health crisis that we have seen in decades. Amen. Depression, anxiety, loneliness, they're all on the rise. Again, many of these comes from an unhealthy fixation on social media. Number five, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about this generation, they are, they have huge information overload. Oh my goodness. When I grew up, we had channel 6, 8, 12, and sometimes 35, depending upon the signal that day, right? If you wanted to get news, you had to look at a newspaper or an old magazine. Or watch it. Now it's everywhere. How many news channels do they have? And none of them are telling the truth either. <laughs> They're all jaded. How many sports, how many ESPNs do they have now? I mean, there's like 12. And then there's like 10 that you can only watch online, right? News, sports, 24 hours a day, information overload. You know, and even television now, television is dropping dramatically in favor of entertainment apps like Netflix, Prime Video, Disney Plus, way more popular than TV. Cable subscriptions are declining every year because things have changed and we have information overload. Hear me, folks. The main problem with the mirror, mirror on the wall mindset is not that we have become self-aware because we did need some of that, Right? But we have become so overly obsessed with ourselves. Amen. Self-awareness, self-confidence, self-determination, self-discovery, self-enrichment, self-esteem, self-expression, self-fulfillment, self-help, self-identity, self-improvement, self-indulgence, self-love, self-realization, self-reliance, self-respect. <laughs> Do you get the message? Here's what Paul said, 2 Timothy 3 and 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there's going to be very difficult times. Why? Look at verse 2. People will love only themselves. Verse 2. And their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. I wonder if Paul had a vision of 2023. <laughs> Amen. See, our big problem with all this focus on self is because guess who gets pushed to the side in all this? God, right? It's not that you don't believe in God anymore. It's just that you think or you live in a way that treats him as if he's irrelevant, right? Or you, you don't deny that God exists. You're just not that into him anymore. This is the cry of our generation. Job 21 verse 14 from the New Century Version says, They say to God, leave us alone. We don't want to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? What would we gain by praying to Him? Huh? They basically say, God, you stay on your side of the fence. I'm going to stay on mine. Don't bother me. I won't bother you. Look at Psalm 10 and verse 4. Wicked people are too proud. They do not look for God. There is no room for God in their thoughts. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Just for fun, this week I typed the phrase self-help books on Amazon. Yeah, over 70,000 titles came up in that category. 
Now, I've probably, some of those books I'm sure were good. I probably got a few on my shelf at home. But folks, hear me. We have no shortage of toxic focus on self today. Amen? So, let me, we're going to dig in a little deeper here today. What is at the very core of this meism? What is it at the very, it's something that's called narcissism. Yeah. Hallelujah. We got a recovering narcissist. No, I'm kidding. Amen. We got the only honest person in the crowd, right? Here's my definition of what a narcissist is. Are you ready? It's defined as a person who has an excessive interest in or admiration of themselves. But folks, let me tell you something. Narcissism is far more complex than that. It exists in many different shades, many different levels. From some, You might have somebody who's just got, maybe they've just got an extra healthy ego, right? To someone who is a pathological, self-absorbed, control freak. There's people all over the spectrum. Not every confident person is a narcissist. Let me just be clear right up front. Oh, yeah, I mean, some people, the insecure people, anybody's got any confidence, oh, they're a narcissist. No, maybe not. But hear me, I do think Everybody has at least some narcissistic traits in us. You want to know why? We're all born in sin and we're shaping in iniquity, amen? We're being shaped by the culture that's around us. And I also don't know if I've ever met a narcissist that actually ever admitted to it. I'm going to tell you something hilarious. This just happened in the 9 o'clock service. I had somebody come up to me at, after service and said, You know, Pastor, I think I am a narcissist. And we laughed and then I prayed. And then they came back to me eight minutes later and said, you know what, I don't really think I'm a narcissist. I just have narcissistic tendencies. <laughs> I said, she could only handle that for eight minutes <laughs> before she had to autocorrect herself. Amen. But see, folks, at the core, narcissism, it's really an outward expression for some deep-seated shame that you may not even realize is there or some deep insecurities that manifest themselves in different ways. So hear me, I'm not just talking about the daily battle of conquering your flesh, amen, and, and, and taking your things to the cross every day. That's important. But I'm talking about the fact we've got to recognize that we live in a society that is too focused on self, too focused on image, and we've got to recognize the damage that is inflicting on us. And I want to talk about that today, amen. Every narcissist that I do know, they have some deep-rooted insecurities and fears that are just covering up. They're being covered up by their narcissistic traits and behaviors. There's more to narcissism than just having high self-esteem and being selfish, amen. For the narcissist, what matters most to them in life is me. Me. My goals, my dreams, my desires, my self-fulfillment, my happiness, my career, me getting pats on the back, me getting words of affirmation. And first of all, though, before we dig deeper, I, I want to quickly, I'm going to give you some 21 bullet points, right? Uh, some of y'all are just, you're the kind of people like, just give me the highlights and move on. So here are 21 quick signs you might be a narcissist. I'm going to read them off I'm not, without elaboration, and then I'm going to dig in deep on a few of them. Are you ready? Here's a quick list. As I read through these, though, take personal inventory. Because after I read all 21, if you did not see yourself in any of these, please come to me after service, and I'm going to pray for you. Because you are under a toxic cloud of deception. Here you go. Are you ready? 21 of them. Number one, an inflated sense of superiority or entitlement. Number two, you might be a narcissist if you have an excessive need for constant praise and admiration. 
Number three, perfectionism. Number four, lack of empathy, which, believe it or not, is one of the top signs of being a narcissist. Number five, the need for control. Number six, easily provoked. Number seven, extremely selfish. Number eight, unable to deal with criticism, perceived slights, or disagreements. Number nine, you're hypersensitive, defensive, and anxious. Number 10, not settling for anything less than what you think you deserve. Number 11, surrounding yourself with people who constantly admire you. Number 12, expecting everyone to comply with your wishes and whims. Number 13, thinking others always need a favor from you. Number 14, exploiting others without any guilt or shame. 15, taking unfair advantage of others. 16, frequently demeaning others. 17, getting intimidated by others that you perceive as stronger than you. 18, fantasizing about power or brilliance or beauty or ideal love. 19, ignoring facts and opinions that contradict your own. 20, refusing to change your behavior no matter how much chaos it creates in your life. 21, blaming others for your behavior. Musicians, would you come? No, not really. (laughs) Now, tell the truth. How many of you felt a few of those and thought, amen or oh me? Right? (laughs) See, what are some of the most common mirror, mirror on the wall, I'm the greatest of them all traits? Let's jump right in. I'm going to give you some. And by the way, let's have a little fun with this today, all right? And again, if you don't see yourself in any of these, you really need to go home and watch this. As Pastor Rodney said in the first, you need to go home and watch this message again. Amen. Are you ready? Here's number one. You like to be the center of attention. (laughs) Psychotherapist Joseph Burgo, Ph.D., who authored a book entitled The Narcissist You Know, said this, and I quote, Narcissists dominate conversations. They feel compelled to talk about themselves, and they exaggerate their accomplishments. You constantly are embellishing your stories. You want people to clap for you over every little thing. You think that you're the most important person at work or at the gym or wherever you are. You want everybody to know about how you serve at the church. You want to make sure you get all the attaboys at work. The list goes on and on and on. You've got to be the center of attention. And one foundational issue, hear me, that is overwhelming the culture of mirror, mirror on the wall thinking is the effect that social media has had on us. Now hear me, and this is the only time in this whole series I'm going to talk about social media. So let me just jump right in. There is an actual term for it now. It's called social media narcissism. Psychology Today said this, and I quote, Receiving a like on social media produces a physiological high by triggering our reward cycle. This good feeling is due to the dopamine rush in the reward center of the brain. We actually get a rush when people like what we post about. Now, I don't have time to go into this today, but narcissism is typically divided into two different categories. One's called grandiose narcissism, which is characterized by feelings of superiority and entitlement. But then there's another one called vulnerable narcissism. And that's characterized by hypersensitivity to criticism and a constant need for reassurance. See, people think that's just insecurity. No, it's not. Sometimes it's this narcissistic focus on self that is manifesting itself as insecurity. The Newport Institute did a study that found that both types of narcissists, while I'm talking about social media, have a higher risk of developing an addiction to Facebook and Instagram as a coping mechanism for their anxiety. That's how they cope. 
The study author said this, the higher the narcissism level, the more anxiety symptoms are experienced that foster the development of addictive tendencies to social media. They also said the vulnerable narcissists were particularly likely to become addicted as they tend to seek positive feedback online. Here's why, and I love this. This is challenging. Listen, because they can more easily control how they appear online than in reality in person. However, the grandiose narcissists, they also have anxiety and insecurity despite how bold and, and, and proud they seem to be online. Listen to another quote. Because social media, particularly Facebook and Instagram, focus on sharing and sometimes oversharing our images and opinions, young adults who use these platforms frequently are prone to narcissism. Research shows that higher levels amount of social media use predict a higher level of narcissism. This includes time spent on social media, frequency of posts and tweets, number of friends and followers, how often participants post pictures of themselves. Also. Folks, I'm on social media. I, I'm not saying it doesn't have any redeeming value, but we've got to understand, we've got to keep it in the right perspective. Amen. Amen. They found that participants who posted large quantities of photos and selfies showed a 25% increase in narcissism, specifically those who use Facebook and Instagram because they use that. Those are more image-focused uh, than word-focused. So, no wonder it's been called the selfie generation, right? Now, let me just give you a little bit of advice. I'm not a psychologist, and this is for me. But let me just give you a few little tips about your social media use. Are you ready? Number one, don't over-promote yourself. Come on. I got a little more help at 9 o'clock. Amen. You don't have to share every single thing about your life. On social media. Come on, it's fun to share some things, amen, but not everything. I posted a picture last night of my granddaughter. Here lately, every time I pick her up, she cries. I thought it was hilarious. I got her in my arms and looked at her, she just busted out crying. You know, I love sharing little moments about that. But don't over-promote your life, right? Secondly, ask yourself, why am I posting this? Oh, now here's where, what is my motive? Have you ever noticed nobody ever posts ugly pictures of themselves? <laughs> but hear me. Are you always trying to show us how beautiful you are ten times a day? What are your hashtags telling us about your motives? See, do you really look at yourself, do you really look that amazing every time you come out the door? No. You know what would fix this? We all ought to have our spouses take a picture of us while we're sleeping. You know. Or a video of us while we're snoring. Or a picture of us with our sleep apnea machines on. Amen. And, and say, see, because we got to understand that's what real life is. And number three, don't project something you're not. Hear me. No one has a fairy tale life. And hear me. I'm just going to say it. It is dishonest to pretend to be something that you are not on social media. Amen. Number four, don't overshare, especially controversial opinions. It's my page. I'll post what I want. Go ahead, and then when nobody likes you anymore, I hate Donald Trump. I hate Joe Biden. I hate, I, yeah, keep posting about it and watch as the number of friends you have goes down. And then the number of people that don't want to have nothing to do with you at church. Come on, I'm just trying to keep it real. We don't have to know everything that's going on inside of your head all the time. 
and fabricating or embellishing your life on social media, folks, I know it seems innocent, but hear me. In reality, we're, represent, we're presenting an idealized version of ourselves that is just distracting us from the fear of not being good enough. We don't have to be good enough for anybody except Jesus and our family. Amen? Come on. All right. I'll move on. Number two, you might be a narcissist if you have a habit of giving unsolicited advice. I had a hard time writing that one down, y'all. I ain't going to lie. Because <laughs> that used to be me. And maybe I still do it more than I realize. But honest to Pete, I'm, I'm trying to do better at this one. Come on, come on, girl. That's right, you know. But see, when you know everything, you just want to share it with everybody, right? <laughs> see, see, that's what we think. But see, it starts off by just saying, well, let me tell you the best place to get coffee. Let me get, tell you the best place to get some ice cream. Let me tell you the best place to buy a steak. Let me tell you the best way to raise kids through the terrible twos. Let me tell you the best way to get your teenagers to move out or to move back. Let me tell you the best. And you're constantly seizing on an opportunity to demonstrate your superior knowledge and insight about all things going on in the universe. Right? You're waiting for people to just take a breath so you can jump right in. Right? You're Man, I'm glad they finally, will you please stop so I can jump in here? You have a habit of doing this. You're more sophisticated than everybody else in the room, and you know it, and they don't know it. So you got to constantly inflate your sense of self, hear me, by telling people stuff they're not asking to know. The Gates of Oak Band used to have a song. I should have looked up the lyrics, but they had a line in it, and I loved it. And it said, and it was talking about preachers and singers. We need to stop answering questions that nobody's asking. Don't try to just impress us with your knowledge. Help us where we're living. Show us what we need to do about what's going on right around us. Amen. That's what I'm trying to do right now. All right, here's number three. Are you ready? I hope you got your toes pulled back. Get ready to get stepped on. You detest waiting in line. Now, folks, this is proof that we all have a little mirror, mirror on the wall inside of us. True confession time. Earlier this week, Robin and I were in between appointments one day, and we were going to try to grab some fast food lunch on the way to our next meeting, you know, eat it in the car, and then get out and go to the next meeting. So I decided I wanted some of God's chicken. So I wanted to go to Chick-fil-A, right? Right up here on 301. Well, when I got there, they were closed for renovation. How dare you close for renovation? You don't understand. It's about me, right? So I'm, we're in the drive. I'm like, man, nobody. And then I thought, well, we're in a hurry. We don't have time. How bad can it be to go to the McDonald's across the street? Yeah, y'all been there too, ain't you? Well, guess what? I got in the drive through land, and I found out. How bad it could be. And folks, I'm ashamed to tell you that after 40 years of living for Jesus, I discovered that I still got a lot of work to do on my patience. And folks, let me tell you something. The engineers of Mickey D's, they know exactly what they're doing. Because they, you know what they do? They build these curbs way back. And when you get in line, they build them in a way where you can't get out. And I was looking at all these cars in front of me, and we were sitting there, and nobody had moved. I thought, I got to get out of here. I can't do this. I mean, I'd rather be hungry than keep sitting here a moment longer. And then I had all these curbs, and I got to be honest with you. 
I was immediately thinking, well, how much damage will it do to my car? <laughs> and if God is my witness, I would have jumped over that curb. But the only reason I didn't, I was afraid somebody would recognize me that I was the pastor of this church. <laughs> That's the only thing that stopped me. And my wife was sitting there, but she already knew. She gave up this fight a long time ago. She knows when I'm in that mindset, there's just no, I just can't stand to wait in lines. Now hear me, folks. It's, it's more than that. You know what it is? Let's take this a little bit stir further. You get really angry when people don't immediately respond to your text. It's the day after somebody left a voicemail. And by the way, people in my generation, we actually do use a phone to speak into, right? I will leave you a voicemail. I don't care if you don't like it. I will leave you a voicemail. But then guess what? Then I get mad when you don't call me back. Right? I'm talking about it's this focus on self. I want it now. I want it my way. Family therapist Carol McBride said it this way. Whatever a narcissist needs are, they need to be met now. And then she said this, and this really stung when I read it. They want automatic compliance because they are that important. Ouch. <laughs> Whether conscious of it or not, are you living your life with a sense of entitlement? Do you think you're the most important in the room, person in the room? And for better or worse, expecting the world to revolve around you. Has everybody had enough of that one? Let me move on to the next one. Number four, you might be a narcissist if your ambitions knows no bounds. Now, what I mean by that, it's all right. Look, I'm a visionary. I got dreams. It's okay to shoot for the stars and work hard to try to get there. It's good to believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But hear me, it's quite another thing to think that you are absolutely destined and deserving of greatness. There's a difference. That type of assumption is a classic symptom of grandiose narcissism. People would not say it out loud, but you think you are part of an elite class that deserves only the best. Dr. McBride said this, they fantasize about how much more powerful they will be, how much more beautiful, how much richer. Notice what the focus is on. I'll never forget one time I went to a conference years ago and I was in a place where there was a lot of preachers and then there was a lot of, of church members and they had a separate room for all the preachers to go into to eat a special meal they prepared for. Well, I was just hanging out in the room talking to people and then when I went, finally made it over to this special room, one of the guys there, a friend of mine, he said, man, you'll just hang out with any old body, won't you? I thought, well, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. But he didn't say it, but here was what the impression was. We're better than all those people out there. Why are you out there with the peons when you can be in here with all of us? See, folks, that's a classic expression of narcissism, and it's, a, and it's an over-assumption and, and focus on self. Right? They belittle anyone that they don't perceive to be part of that club. They obsess over status symbols, right? You got to have the right shoes. You got to have the right watch. You got to have brand name clothes. Got to have perfect accessories. It's all about image. Amen. Some of y'all, you're wearing stuff you can't even afford. Amen. I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor. I didn't even know. There was a store called Finger Hut. Anybody remember Finger Hut? I ain't going to call his name. I could call him right now by name. 
But there was this boy that rolled up in there. He had on some brand new Jordans. And this was when they first started coming out. These really nice tennis shoes. And I thought, man, I knew they were expensive. And I thought, and finally I just asked him. I was a youth parent. I said, man, how did you afford to buy those tennis shoes? He said, I financed them. I was like, what? You bought tennis shoes on Finger Hut that you have to finance? Folks, this is an IQ test at some point. You can't afford them shoes if you got to finance your tennis shoes. See, we, we laugh, and we should laugh. I'm trying to make this funny because it's painful when you realize how focused on ourselves we really are. Another sign you might be a narcissist, you're fiercely competitive. In a narcissist worldview, there are only winners and losers, but the narcissist has to win every single time. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, if I'm playing, I'm competitive, right? I don't believe in participation trophies. I think you either win or you lose. Because, listen, there's things you learn when you lose. Let Johnny cry. Let him feel the humiliation of defeat. It's character building, right? It's good for us. Amen. It's all right to feel the sting of defeat. Maybe he'll work a little harder next time. You're so mean. I just saw where a one in nine football team made it into the playoffs. And they lost 104 to zero. And I thought, serves all of y'all right. Come on. Fiercely competitive, though. Out of control competitive. Someone, and, and let me tell you how it manifests itself. We're not just talking about when you're playing softball, right? Somebody buys a house before you do. Yeah, but they're in debt to their eyeballs. They'll never make the payments. Or they start a business. And you're so green with envy that you can't even congratulate them. Right? Or maybe they get an attaboy at work that you thought you should have got. And instead of celebrating with them, you find fault with them. Mirror, mirror on the wall. See, you can celebrate others, but the only people you can celebrate are those that you think are inferior to you. See, this obsession with self, it's creating this toxic environment. Jealousy makes it hard to celebrate those you feel or that you are in competition with. And if you can't celebrate others, let me tell you something. Eventually, there ain't nobody going to be around that wants to celebrate with you. Amen. Here's another sign you might be a narcissist. You're famous for holding grudges. To everybody else, you seem confident, the kind of person that doesn't care what other people think. But in reality, that could not be further from the truth. Narcissists care deeply about maintaining their idealized image of themselves. They have trouble tolerating any sort of disapproval or insult. And if they ever feel slighted or targeted, they might smile at you. But honey, they are never going to forget it. I, I have a, a preacher friend of mine and the running joke about, from all of us. It's like you're either his, better, his best friend or you're his worst enemy. There's no place in between. You're either on his team or you're on his hit list. Folks, we can't live our lives that way. Rather than dealing with, with our hurt feelings, we get angry. We seek revenge. Or we've got uh, this passive-aggressive stuff that people pull. Folks, passive-aggressiveness is a sign of tremendous insecurity. Come on out and say it. Roll up your sleeves. Let's talk about this. 
And when we're done, let's let the dust settle and let's clear the room and let's be friends and let's go get a hamburger or let's go get some chicken at God's chicken place. Amen. But let's settle this thing. Don't hold grudges. Folks, we've talked about this before, about toxic unforgiveness and the bitterness that it brings. It will destroy your life. It will destroy your health. It will destroy your emotions. Let it go. Amen. Let it go. Let it go. Amen. Number seven. You might be a narcissist if it's never your fault. Can you own your mistakes? And do you apologize for them and try to fix them? Or do you immediately flip the script and say things like, well, it's because of X, Y, Z. Right? If I wouldn't have torn my Achilles heel in 1997, if I wouldn't have been under that, come on. It's never your fault. Narcissists refuse to be held accountable for their mistakes and bad behavior, and instead they're always shifting the blame to somebody else. Even within their close personal relationships, they always believe there's going to be a winner and a loser, and they're going to do whatever they have to do to be the winner. Last one I want to mention, number eight, you might be a narcissist if you're constantly taking advantage of other people. Narcissists expect others to revolve around their needs, but they refuse to do the same for anybody else. That means to get what you want, you're not afraid to manipulate or bully whoever is in your way. Because in the end, it's always about you. Your theme song could be, I did it my way. (laughs) Always, right? Let me ask it this way. Are people in our society becoming more considerate or ruder? Right. Do people seem more considerate of others or less considerate of others? Right. Here's what Proverbs 18 and 1 says. Unfriendly people care only about themselves. They lash out at common sense. The mindset of others don't matter. Shows up in how we treat others, how we view other races, how we view other cultures, how we view other denominations, how we perceive people that are not like us. Come on. And if that's true, and it is, What is the solution to self-centeredness, to narcissism, to mirror-mirror-on-the-wall thinking? Let me quickly give you in closing three antidotes, three ways to stop thinking only about myself. Are you ready? Here's number one, and I'm almost done. Build strong relationships. Build strong relationships. Get interested in other people. Cultivate some friendships. You need other people and not just your wife and your kids in your life to give you balance so that you're not so self-centered. Amen. Come on, we all need other people. You need relationships. You say, well, I ain't got time for relationships. Then you're too busy. Come on. You've got to make time for relationships for your own psychological health, for your own spiritual health, for your own emotional health. You cannot survive only with superficial relationships. Praise the Lord, Brother Kevin. How you doing? Has it been a good week? God bless you. I'll see you inside. God bless you, Nathan. I hope you had a great time. I'll see you next Sunday. No, no, no. That's superficial, amen? You've got to build relationships. You cannot survive if all you have is superficial friendships. And when you say, I've got no time for closeness, I'm too busy with my own life, I can't afford to let a relationship interfere with my calendar or my career, or I've been hurt before, I've been burned before, amen, and, and this is it. I don't have any friends, or even worse, I feel disconnected. Come on, you're sabotaging yourself. Or people will say, I feel disconnected at church. Can I just go there for a minute? But you won't join a group. You won't talk to people that you don't know. I'm not going to serve on a team. Can I just say this very lovingly? 
that if you come to me and say, I don't feel welcome here or I don't feel connected here, you know what I'm going to ask you? What group are you in or what team do you serve on? Amen. And here, I'm just going to tell you, and if you don't have an answer for either one of those, then you just got your answer. Because hear me, the church cannot fix your loneliness if you are not willing to do your part. Come on, relationships are a two-way street, and this is not a one-way church. Thank you, man. I need some help, but thank you, brother. Hallelujah. See, if you're not willing, I'm just telling you, folks, if you're not willing to invest in relationships, I'm not willing to feel sorry for you or feel guilty for your non-connectedness. We've got to take the ball into our own court. If If you won't talk to anybody at work, that's on you. If you won't make friends at school, that's on you. Come on, you've got to make the effort. Come on, you've got to put it out there. You need relate. This is how we quit focusing on self. We gotta, you know what Proverbs 28, 25 says? Selfish people cause trouble. But you will live a full life if you trust the Lord. Caring about somebody else, hear me, it's the fastest way to get your focus off yourself. Amen. Care about somebody else. Build some relationships. One of the purposes of the church is to help build relationships so that you and I are not selfish. It's called fellowship. It's called community. Everybody needs a church family. And I want to look right into the camera and tell you, watching online is good enough. It's all right as a substitute, but it is not the same as being in the building. It's not. I'm going to just tell you, online viewing alone is a poor substitute to corporate worship and gathering with the body of Christ. And that's some good preaching right there. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. We need to encourage one another. And by the way, it's hard to encourage anybody in a meeting just this size. It is. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have dream teams. You support each other and you help each other. Build strong relationships. Number two, serve others. One of the best antidotes to selfishness or narcissism is to serve other people. What am I talking about? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Give yourself away to ministry, to volunteering. Hear me, to be spiritually and emotionally and healthy balanced. Everybody needs some form of service on at least a weekly basis where you give yourself away without expecting anything else in return. Amen. It's true. Every single one of us have 168 hours in a week. Do you really mean to tell me you cannot give a few of those away once a week for something bigger than you are? We can't and we won't if we're selfish. Or to someone who is hurting more than you are. 168 hours. God doesn't want you to spend them all on yourself. He didn't make us that way. And folks, there are dozens of ways you can serve right in this church. There are countless ways that you can serve in the community. There are innumerable amounts of people that you can help that need it. And you need it for your health, for your balance. Look at Jesus. Jesus didn't walk around carrying a mirror. Hey, boys, don't forget, I'm the one that turns water into wine. I'm the one that raises the dead. Now, you know what Jesus carried around? A basin and a towel. It wasn't the mirror ministry. 
It was a let me wash your feet, brother ministry. Let me show you that I'm not better than anybody in this room. Let me show you the Son of God who I really, let me show you God manifest in the flesh. Bring them old stinky, dirty feet up in here. Stick them in the bowl and let me show you just how humble I am. Serve others. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Come on up, praise team musicians, for real this time. It's God himself who has made us what we are, and he gives us new lives from Christ Jesus. Look at this. And long ago, what did God do long ago? He planned that we should spend our lives helping others. He planned that we should spend our lives helping others. You're never going to find fulfillment in simply living for yourself. 1910, true story. Salvation Army was holding their annual international conference. The founder of the Salvation Army, General William Booth, was not able to come and speak that year because he was near the end of his life. His health would not let him travel. Instead, he promised that he was going to send a telegram from London. Everybody was excited if he couldn't be here. At least we're going to get to hear, get a telegram from him. We're going to get to... Hear him share his vision. When the conference received the telegram, the convention center was packed with thousands of people. Everybody was anxiously awaiting what Mr. Booth was going to say. And then when the man opened up the telegram and stood there and he began to read it, everybody was shocked because guess what? There was only one word on the telegram. You know what it was? Others. Others. (laughs) His message was summed up in one word, others. Here's my question today to each of us. What is your word? Is it money? Fame? Beauty? Power? Lust? Envy? Strength? Politician? President? Influencer, mom, dad, husband. What is your word? I want you to stand with me all over this house. The only way we're going to ever change, and this is the last point, not just building relationships, not just serving others, but are you ready? You've got to learn self-denial. Now, this is the buzzkill part of the message, right? (laughs) Man, this is great. Now, there it is, self-denial. What did Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me. Choose conviction over convenience. Choose right over wrong. What do I mean by self-denial? Well, really, it depends on who you are and what season of life you're in, right? Self-denial for you might mean I got to put my kids over my own desires. Or it might mean I gotta start thinking about my spouse first instead of me first. It might mean I gotta choose to make some choices that take the attention off of me so that I'm no longer a distraction. Or so that I, I'm not getting too proud. I wanna let some others enjoy the spotlight. Philippians 2 and 4 said this, and I love it. Here's the heart of this message, folks don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. This might be, hear me. 
This might be the most important sermon of this whole series. I've talked about abortion. Next week I'm going to talk about transgender stuff. There's a lot of these issues, right? But as far as changing our world, you know what will change our world? Put that verse back up on the screen if you would, please. That last verse. Don't look out only for your own interest. Take an interest in others, too. What would happen if we got over ourselves? What kind of difference could we make in the world? Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And guess what? When Jesus said, take up your cross, he wasn't talking about a pretty little silver necklace. He wasn't talking about nice little cross earrings. He wasn't talking about a cross bracelet. You know what he was talking about? An executioner's tool. He was talking about death. Take up your cross and follow me. See, we know, I know we all do it every once in a while, but is every once in a while enough? Jesus was a radical counterculture figure. Our society says express yourself, assert yourself, indulge yourself. Jesus says deny yourself. Self-denial is not one grand decision. It's a whole bunch of little choices made every day. Sometimes painful choices. What does it really mean to deny yourself? When you can watch your peers and those close to you prosper and succeed without feeling jealousy. Instead, you rejoice in their success then you know you're denying yourself. When you can see other people attain goals that you failed to reach that you'd like to have without being envious, that's denying yourself. When you see other people's needs being met with abundance while your needs seem far greater and you don't question God and you don't fail to be grateful for what you do have, that's denying yourself. When you choose to serve your wife or your husband or your children and you put their needs ahead of yours, that's denying yourself. When you don't seek praise or fish for compliments and approval from others all the time, and you can live without constantly being recognized and applauded, even sometimes when you deserve it, that's denying yourself. When you tell the truth, even at personal expense, that's denying yourself. When you give your tithes and your offerings faithfully instead of spending it on other things that you might enjoy having or doing, that's denying yourself. When you can accept criticism willingly and learn from it with a teachable attitude instead of getting mad, that's denying yourself. When you place the comfort of others ahead of your own comfort, that's denying yourself. When you can be content with less than the best of circumstances without griping or complaining, that's denying yourself. When you can accept interruptions that God places in your life and petty uh, things that, that you think are just an annoyance to you, that's denying yourself. When people break promises to you and they let you down and you refuse to come bitter, that's denying yourself. When you're misjudged unfairly and your motives are questioned and you don't retaliate, that's denying yourself. When you're content to let God settle the score and content to wait for your reward to come in heaven, that's denying yourself. When you can say your will not mine be done, Lord. That's denying yourself. See, the ultimate curse of self-obsession is a life devoted to self ultimately leaves you alone. Think about it. Nobody wants to be around a self-absorbed, self-obsessed person. 
So here's what I want us to do. I've covered a lot of bases today. And I preach longer than I normally do, and I'm sorry. I knew I was going to have to because I wanted to cover everything that needed to be said today. Here's what I know. Every single one of us, if we're honest, there's something that was said today that we could all work on to be more like Jesus. And I think that the Lord would be pleased if we would just step out from where we are, if you're able to, and come down to this altar and say, God, I want to be more like you. Praise team, you've not practiced this, Joel. Can you hear me? I want you to play that old chorus, To Be Like Jesus. Do you remember that? We didn't practice this. We didn't plan this. I'm going off script. But I want, you to invite, I want to invite you to come down to the front this morning. And I want to ask you today to say, Lord, help me to be less like me and more like you. Help me, God. I already know what my weaknesses are. Man, I know them. I can look in the mirror right now. I can tell you every single one of them. But God, help me to crucify my flesh. Help me, Lord, to lay these things on the altar. Help me, God, to not be so caught up in image and self that I forget about those that are around me. That's my prayer. And as we sing this, would you lift your hands toward heaven and just ask the Lord to help you. Are you ready? To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus.
our own lives and our own uh, lifestyle, God, that we forget that we're called to be your hands and your feet. Help me, Lord, to walk in humility and in grace each and every day of my life. Help me not to be self-absorbed and self-possessed, God. Help me, Lord, to recognize, God, that I can, I can have a healthy view of myself and also be humble and submitted to you. And that's my prayer. And everybody said in Jesus' name, come on, let's give them a praise all over this house. Amen. sometimes when we hear messages like this, I think many of us have a natural tendency to shovel it off on somebody else, right? Uh, that's for my wife. That's for my husband. That's for my kids. That's for that guy across the aisle over there that I don't really care for too much. Let's shovel it off on him. But if you were listening that way today, I just wanted to encourage you. Pull, as Pastor Thompson's grandfather used to say, pull out the gospel rake and rake some of that on into you today and recognize that you might not be a certified narcissist. Your therapist might not have come down and said, this is your diagnosis. But we've got some tendencies sometimes that we can work on, right? And so I want to encourage you, think about those words that he said today. Maybe if, again, I mentioned it in first service, if you need to go back and listen to it again from a different perspective, not the perspective of that's for them, maybe listen to it from what can I get out of this and allow it to really get into your heart. Because the reality is this, just like we just sing about, I want a whole lot more of him in my life and a whole lot less of me. I need less of me every day and more of him every day. And if I've got more of him, I don't have a problem with me-ism anymore because him is who you're going to see in my life, not me. Can you say amen? And so I encourage you today, take the words that Pastor shared with us today and apply them. Again, you're you may not be a diagnosed narcissist, but we all got a little bit of tendency there sometimes to think more about us than we ought to. And that's why the Bible over and over again reminds us that we need to think of others more than we think about ourselves. And so I encourage you today to do that. It'll be a blessing to you. Great message, Pastor. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, thank you for being with us today to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, the series is going to continue next week, and I, I, there's something powerful about recognizing God is working through his word to challenge us to live different. Sometimes we can have great services, go home and be like, what did the man talk about today? Uh-uh. We want to live different, right? We want to apply the word of God in our lives. And so come and hear these messages. Bring people with you. It's changing people's lives. I believe that. Can you say amen? Hey, hey thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.